This is illiterate. Welcome, welcome. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book. Uh, I didn't do anything this Evan week. moved. No, you I moved. moved. I moved. I moved. What are we talking about? And that's about? what we're talking about today. Today, we are covering This Is Where You Belong. There are two, there are two different uh, tagline titles. What's yours? The Art and Science of Loving Where You Live. And this one I see here is Finding Home Wherever You Are. Uh, this is by Melody Warnick. Let's uh, get into it. Melanie Warnick was a freelance journalist for more than a decade, written for Reader's Digest, O, The Oprah Magazine, Red Book, Better Homes and Gardens, uh, Ladies Home Journal, Woman's Day, Parents, and the Atlantic City Lab. An accomplished journalist, to say the least. Uh, but this is her only book, right? To my knowledge, yeah. Fantastic. Came out in 2017, is that correct? I see 2016. Originally uh, published in 2016, but yeah. Pretty recent. recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's about moving. And Evan just moved. I just moved. Me and my girlfriend, Emily, just moved into a, a nice a nice little one-bedroom loft apartment. <laughs> so we have just... We, uh, in a these, new neighborhood. These kinds of things are... A new neighborhood. This is all on our mind. We're, we're trying to find the place where we're more comfortable. We're trying to uh, understand what more about ourselves and about the places where we live and, and how that is a give and take. So this is all very prevalent. And... There's a statistic at the end of this book that says more than 40% of moves happen between May and August. Oh, wow. So a lot of people, if you're planning on moving, you're probably moving in the next couple months. Well, and so... They got us. <laughs> here we go. Loving where you live. I'll just go through some statistics that she throws out at the beginning and the premise of the book, which is she moved and she's trying to figure out as a journalist, as one does, what's this all about? How can I... She was a serial Well, it's a pretty mover. scary place to be. Yeah, I mean we've all moved, but you know, uh, just all of the all that anxiety of like, will will I like it? Will it be what I you know? Will I be yeah. comfortable? Will I? Will I? Will I? Where will I find what I mm -hmm. need? So um, when she's writing this book, this is her sixth move. She was moving from Austin, Texas, to Blacksburg, Virginia, okay, which is where Virginia Tech is. She's thirty six at the time. She's got two kids in elementary school. The average stay of her life of where she's moved. She she grew up in California, but. Now, the average stay of where she's been is about 3.2 years in a place. And so she's like, are we going to settle down? This is for her husband's work. Mm. He's going to be a teacher there. Okay. Um, so she's like thinking, well, I when I grew up, I always lived in the same house as a kid. Like, I don't, want, I don't know if I should be moving and having my kids. They've already been at three different elementary schools. And, mm -hmm. you know, is this the way to do it? And am I, what am I chasing? What do I think is going to be? Because I, I just lived in the big city. And then now I'm moving to a smaller town of 40,000 people, Blacksburg, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And then I just, before that, I was in Iowa. And then before that, I was in Maryland or what have you. So and what, what's going on Yeah, here? so what and am what I what is this for? doing and why? And mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So she says that the average American moves 11 times before they die. Seems like a lot. That does seem like a lot. But it Man, makes sense. If I'm thinking about doing what we just did 11 times... Well, you also moved from your hometown and then to somewhere else in oh, college God. and then from another place, you know. Yeah. So you've already moved six, five times. Oh, my God. Right? No. I'm, I'm half dead. <laughs> <laughs> I only got five more moves. Oh yeah. I can't move anymore. <laughs> I've only got five more moves for the rest of my life. I've got to bear like these a, out. It's like a chess game. <laughs> she talks about the healing power of geography kind of as a joke. Like, but, but it's true. You think about it. So oh, definitely. Gretchen Rubin, who we already talked about. Oh, Gretchen. Had a study 
And she was saying that in this study where people are talking about big changes in career or relationship or they felt like they really turned a corner, mm -hmm. almost 40% of those changes were associated with a move to a new place mm. in the study because it does upend a lot of stuff. And you're like, oh, now I'll start taking yoga classes. Yeah. Now yeah. I'll really be good, a better parent. Now I'll, you know, make a lot of friends, whatever it might be. Okay, um, it forces you. It forces you in a lot of ways. It forces you to break out of a cycle. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you mm -hmm. can't do that any better than not being physically in the same place anymore. Yeah, it definitely affects you. She was saying it's the, that's what she loved is the thrill of possibility. Mm. So a couple more statistics. I'll be dipping in and out of statistics. This is that number of the game, y'all. <laughs> she said that 12% of the U.S. moves a year, which makes sense. Okay. But if you put it in a visual context... It's as if every resident of the 25 largest cities, so I don't think the full metro areas, but the city proper, so like Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Boston, the 25 largest cities, if everybody in those cities just picked up and played musical chairs, that's 12% of the U.S. population. Oh, wow. Which is a lot. Yeah. So like China, Germany, only 5% of them move, have moved in the past five years. Are Americans unhappy? I don't know. In the U.S., in, in a five-year span, it's 35% of the U.S. that moves. So uh, she references another book, which I didn't look into, but I have read before, called The Geography of Bliss, where it's more of a travel journal, but this guy does from a global perspective. So if you're interested in that, hmm. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Oh, that's notes. cool. But it's called The Geography of Bliss, One Grump's Guide to happiness in the world or something like Maybe that. Maybe we'll do so that he's, in a year or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's checking out all these different countries. He's talking to people, doing different research, citing different studies. But cool. it's about how, like, Bhutan is the happiest place in the world and why <laughs> Brazil and what the cultural norms of different things change. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's cool. Geography. I'll put that on the list. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's still confused about what this all means. And then uh, she, so she, like you said, she's a journalist. She's written for all these different things. She had followed this story in West Virginia about a flood that happened, and she was interviewing people there, and that's what changed her mind and got her on this project to write this book. Mm. She met this lady named Gertie in Laredo, West oh, Virginia, Gertie. which had the deadliest flood in U.S. history, and she had lived there all her life. This lady, and she was taking her through the back roads and uh -huh. the different houses that she lived in and she knew everybody and she thought why is this woman staying here through and it's not a great place yeah um she was talking about how place affects things that you don't even necessarily think about so like life expectancy for this was for oh, life expectancy yeah, of yeah. men fairfax virginia has the highest life expectancy in the u.s for men it's 81 is the average but then just a couple hundred miles away in McDowell, West Virginia, it's 64. Oh, wow. So just even that is something. It's like, so, okay, you're in this sort of area. Why would you choose to stay? That's interesting. She got widowed. This Gertie lady got widowed at 35 with oh. five kids. Oh, my gosh. But she's she's the main woman out there. And so the question is, what makes somebody, the three terms she uses is mobile, stuck, and rooted. So mobile is the people that move 45 times like her. Mm-hmm. Stuck is like, ah, this crummy town, I want to get out of here, but you can't. And then rooted is, Gertie could have left, but she chose to stay. Mm -hmm. And so then her th question is, what if a place becomes our right place only by choosing to love it? Right. As a concept. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going to throw out another statistic f uh, for the U.S., which we talked about how so many people move, right? Mm -hmm. But also so many people stay. 
So 57% of the United States has never left their home state in moving, and then 37% has never even left their hometown in moving. Wow. So we said how 35% of the population will move, but also 37% will never leave their hometown. Wow. So it's a pretty sharp divide oh my God. in the country of who moves and who stays. Well, even if you move, you could move in your, in your hometown. Yeah. So not, yeah. Yeah. So the, the term that she's using is place attachment, which we're going to refer yeah. to a lot. Yeah. But it's like, it's good to be home. You feel a sense of community. You don't want to leave. You feel an identity and an attachment to it. You feel right. a longing to it when you're not there. Right. All of that stuff. And according to these studies, it takes about three to five years. That's the peak season for place attachment. But now she's just moved to this Blacksburg, Virginia. And she's like, do I want... I don't want to spend three to right. five, yeah. you know, I, how can I, can I, it seems like a fast food way of getting it, but is there a way that I can... Can I make it feel like home now? Yeah. <laughs> or can I, what can I do Is there to add get water? There? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so emotion and belief combined with action is the process. But if you acted like you loved your town, what would you do? And maybe that would help kind of putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. If I felt, if I was somebody that loved Blacksburg, how would what I What would I do? If I what was are the Blacksburgian that ate it? Yeah. Lived it, walked yeah. it every day. Yeah. What would you do? And so the rest of the book then she's talking about is studies and different things that happen and then her own experiments. I just of... imagine her like living the life of like some old like grandpa who's like really <laughs> well known in the town. Like she just like starts her day at the barber shop and then, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's next door to the diner and she right. just pretends to be an old man. <laughs> well, like, so yeah, you could make a home in a weird way. <laughs> You could be a totally different person. So here's what she says. She says she purposely did it so that it's not big things because like, there are big things that you could do to feel place attached, but she can't do. So like she can't buy a house. Right. She's renting. Yeah. She can't become the mayor. She can't open a community center. Like those things would make you really place attached. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she cannot do those. But so it's going to be 10 things with experience. But in three to five years, she could run for mayor. <laughs> right. And then she could but, really be, you know, yeah. right as the right as that time window's <laughs> opening up, man. That's when she could really. A place attached. <laughs> no, but it's some small actions that maybe you could replicate if you're moving or you're just like I'm in a place and I don't feel like I, I, this is home. If I was somebody that loved being here, what would I do? And so, part one: lace up your sneakers. I'm wearing sandals. Excuse you. <laughs> Slip on your sandals. <laughs> Walking and biking is a big part of feeling place attached. 60% of home buyers now want walkable and bikeable neighborhoods, yeah. according to a study. That was uh, a big one for us, man. We love we love being able to walk. Mm -hmm. um, we have a park out front of our new complex. So yeah. That has offered a lot of, a lot of nice walking opportunities. <laughs> yeah. So she says she tried to look at the street view before on Google Maps of Blacksburg. And there's a, which everybody I recommend doing, there's a website called Walk Score. I don't know if you looked at it. Oh, that yeah, I've heard of this. Moving. Yeah. So I, I don't know if we looked at it here. That'd be interesting. Yeah. So I, well, I looked it up for you. Oh, Taylor. <laughs> so here we're going to go. So her score. I threw my iPad out of my hands. <laughs> I saw Evan getting ready to look it up. No, no, no. I've already done it. I've done the research. <laughs> Lay it on me, Taylor. So, well, I'll just get into her thing. So the walk score, for those that don't know, is a combination of, I don't know what the mile, maybe it's a mile radius or whatever you could walk a mile and a half radius around your specific address. And it's like how many. Uh, schools there are, how many restaurants there are, how many bars there are, how many libraries, hospitals, all that stuff, and what you could reasonably walk to in mm. that region. 
So the an average kind of score for a location is 60, 65. Okay. That's an average number, which is like fine. Yeah. Her score in Blacksburg was 55 because mm. it's a, you know, in the in the foothills of the Blue Ridge yeah, Mountains yeah, of Virginia. Yeah. yeah. So she was like, well, I'm still going to figure out how to do it. So your walkability scores, Evan used to live in North Hollywood. I looked up his specific address. It was 85, mm. which is pretty good. Where you are right now is 80 mm. in Burbank. And then I looked up mine. I live in downtown, 98. Look at you. Totally. <laughs> Extreme access. to, so And I, I hardly use my car. Right. So she was saying about cars and driving and commuting. This was fascinating to me. Biologically, there was a study where they used electrodes and things measuring people's heart rates and their cortisol stress level yeah. hormone and everything. And uh, for commuting and for things like going on a busy train and being in traffic for an hour, stuff like that, riot police are less freaked out in those levels of heart rate and cortisol oh. than if you're in rush hour traffic. That's fascinating. Yeah. And so if you have to do that every day for an hour, you're like a riot policeman. Oh, man. In your in your stress levels. Oh, God. Ah. So that's why walking and biking is so important oh, in general, but then also feeling like you're connected to it. So the thing about it, one of the things, is the mental mapping, being boots on the ground and going around, lets you not waste RAM in your, like, to borrow yeah. a computer analogy, in your brain, because you just know where stuff is. You can take the back road yep. to the, to the whatever, to your house, so you can avoid this thing. Just But that takes time to figure out. But when you're walking and you're biking, they did studies with kids where the, the kids that walked and biked versus just sitting in the backseat of the car knew and could draw from memory their neighborhood way mm. better. Ooh, um, that's cool. Which helped them that's feel really like they, they actually were in the community and felt like this is my area yeah. that I'm a part of. Um, yeah, my dad thought it was the same to, to watch Chicago go by out the window um, <laughs> instead of uh, just, you know, stop the car and let me see the Sears building. Um, same thing. Yeah. Just drive by. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I was there. So so now cities realize that and they're like, oh, we'll put a pedestrian mall in. We'll put shops in. But yeah. it's a cultural thing as well. It's that 89% of pedestrian malls will fail because there's no feet on the street to begin with. You can't just like put it in. They're just going to asphyxiate from the fact of like there wasn't foot there's traffic no foot here traffic. before. Yeah, no. You can't just drop it in and say, all right, now there's going to be a bunch of people walking here. You could marginally increase the number, but you have to have a number to start with. Like mm -hmm. if you if there was a decent amount, you might would get a little bit more right. because it was already a highly trafficked area. You can't just plop it in the middle of nowhere and be like, and now here they will come. It's not angels in the outfield. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or what is that? Field of or dreams. Field of dreams. <laughs> field of dreams. Sorry. Field of dreams. <laughs> field of it's dreams. neither, really. It's not. And you know, it's neither. It's neither. It's neither. So then the, you, bring, you bring up the good question, which I followed to next is, well, how do you get people in there? If people are not walking, there's a guy in Raleigh who renegade came up with these things where you put these signs on the it, he helps you with the system you can go to the website and put it i'll put a link in the show notes about it but you put up these signs with zip ties on telephone poles and whatnot but mm -hmm. it gives people a because he, he found that's like oh there's this really cool cemetery oh there's a science museum oh well if you just took the train and started here it would be 10 minutes from here to the city hall where they have a free tour of you know, knows on the roof or whatever but People are like, well, people that are especially not used to it. If you said it's eight-tenths of a mile, people are like, oh, God, I'm not going to walk that. You know, <laughs> right, but if you right, said, oh, right. it's just ten minutes, right. most right. people will walk ten minutes. Yeah. So 
he came up with this thing in Raleigh where he put up these signs. They're made of cardboard or whatever, but you can print them out and he'll ship them to you. And you can put them up on the things. And if you, it'll, it'll mark if you put a beginning and the end and he'll give it to you and tell you which the arrows directions are going and you can put them up. Oh. And so that people that, I mean, it's not going to help more people come in, but it gives people things to do or they'll see the sign and they're like, oh, it's only 10 minutes over to here. And it tended to help apparently in his area of Raleigh where people were walking around because imagine they knew. that if you just tell people where things are and that they exist maybe people will go <laughs> and give them the the minutes as opposed to something they don't understand ah uh, yes to walk to um so she said well maybe I'll do this in Blacksburg so she she said this is her first experiment 125 dollar investment she went on the website got the signs cool. put them up Felt really sketchy because technically it's illegal to just put stuff up without And she a... just moved here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do run the risk of looking like a crazy person. Right. <laughs> you, have... <laughs> you, you just moved to this town. You have all these great things. None of you know. Don't you know? Yeah. You're just putting up signs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, she only did it to three locations. To the cemetery, uh, to this farmer's market, and some other thing. But... She, I hope so, it's part of a ritual. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope she's been drawn into a black magic scheme. Sorry. Well, we'll get into the cemetery in a second. Oh, so what I like about this book a lot is that she does these things, and then it's not some rah-rah grandstanding, hey, everybody should do this, because she's like, it was, it was neat, but I didn't really see the benefits of it. Mm. Like, I felt like I did something good, but it didn't necessarily make me more place-attached to the place. Like, I didn't feel like I had a sense of ownership. It was a small, you know, first step in the scheme of things in this three to five mm -hmm, years of mm -hmm. what can I do to feel more like I belong here. And then she had this realization where she was like, I put up these things, but then I personally have never been to the cemetery. Right. And so she was That's like, what I was I, just thinking, I was like, yeah. but do you, have you done any of this? And stuff so then she was like, well, how the hell am I going to expect people to walk if I haven't even done it? So then she yeah. walks to the cemetery, follows her own signs and has a, has a nice time and looks at it and is like, oh, this is actually pretty interesting. And that was more of the takeaway for her of like, let me let me actually do the thing and Very feel cool, involved yeah. instead of getting other people to do stuff. Why don't I just go And I feel the like the, actually the act of putting up the signs is a longer term payoff thing mm -hmm. anyway. You mm -hmm. wouldn't, it would take a while for people to realize they're there and then to actually yeah. see the difference being like, oh, maybe people actually are going to the cemetery more. Yeah. And the whole point of the walking, she said on the walk to the cemetery, she saw this cool side alley that had a church in the background. There you go, see? So that was the whole point of just the walking That's to the starts, cemetery. Yeah. Got her more connected to that area. So then the checklist for you, yourself, what you can do if this interests you about lacing up your sneakers, sliding on your sandals, walking around your neighborhood, some actionable takeaways. Mm. Figure out the mile radius around your home and try to replace one trip per week that you do to something within there. So if you go to the barber that's six miles away that you drive, try to find a barber a mile within your home mm -hmm. and go there. If you usually get groceries from a, from somewhere miles away, try to use a local grocer or so, or just a place. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. That'd be very that'd be very cool. I mean, I certainly know that I could replace several trips. Yeah, with, with something you know probably just right down the street or such and that if i were to actually do that and start that today of just taking one trip a week down the street yeah 
I would absolutely feel more attached. And I would learn so much about all, the, you know, I would immediately start looking at all the houses on this street. And I would mm -hmm. start looking at all the alleyways. And I'd look at the cars that were lining the street. And I would start thinking about which cars are actually living here and which cars <laughs> actually are just visiting for the day. And then if I did that again the next week, I would be thinking about all those same things. And you add all that information yeah. to it and you get... yeah. And for somebody else who thinks, you know, you live in an 80 walkable score, somebody looks on walkscore.com. 55. Or and it's 55 42. or whatever. So what do you do? So she's saying something like what the, the kids did, like just take a piece of paper and try and make a map for yourself mm -hmm. of how, where you live and what you like to do and interesting places and mm -hmm. fill that in over time as you go about and be like, or or put like the mental memory areas of like, oh, well, that's where I kissed my girlfriend or this is where... You know, I saw that weird guy that was throwing tennis balls at the wall. Or just like That's nonsense. where we got gas before we went to the lake, you know? Yeah, like yeah, that. stuff like that will help you feel like this is a place that I know. That's the thing I'm thinking about the most right now is like, oh, yeah, I could just walk up the street to a gas station and get a couple of little groceries that I buy all the time down the street at Kroger and mm -hmm. Ralph's. I'm like, no, I could replace that with, you know, walking right outside my door, basically. It might yeah. be a little more expensive or something, but the trade-off there is feeling more at home and connected yeah. in my community. So we're moving straight on to number two, buying local. Here we go. There was a study that was done in Salt Lake City. And they in this study, they were telling people, if you spend $25 at a local store, meaning owned by somebody that lives in the community and procures goods from the community, 25 bucks. $14 of that would stay in the community, meaning the person that they hired would get that money right. from the salary or the product that they sold, they would get to keep a lot of that return or yeah. the bill that they're paying goes to the electric company fascinating. in town or the accountant that they use right. works down the street. And so 14 of the $25 is there. If you bought that at a chain, three $3.50 of the $25 would stay in the community. Oh, that's fascinating. I, I've, I started, that reminds me of... Um, Killer Mike, the rap artist, had a, mm -hmm. uh, a Netflix show uh, come out very recently where uh, he it's kind of a reality show, so he takes up kind of a different angle every time and he's trying to, you know, he's, he's just trying these kind of like social experiments, but the first one is kind of like that, but he's seeing... He was focusing on spending money in the black community, but yeah. very much just the same way of how it's affected right outside your door and how that money is passed around to the people around you or not mm -hmm. um so he the first episode of his show was trying to spend I, th I think it was a week of only spending money in the black community because uh when when he pulled up the numbers when a dollar is spent in the black community it stays in the black community for something like only a few hours which is amazing because yeah. every other demographic would keep that dollar for at least a few days before it would go out so he, it was fascinating to see him actually try to tactilely do that. To act, I cannot spend this dollar at this business. I have to spend it at this one. Yeah, it I'll was put a really, really that. fascinating. Yeah. It was really cool. I mean, that that's specifically about the black community, but you could take that for any demographic you want to. I mean, that that mm -hmm. was just really eye opening. Yeah. So she is now realizing, okay, well, if I want to be involved in this, I want to get a place attached. I should buy from a local person. So there's a thing that might be going on in your neighborhood called a cash mob, kind of like a flash mob, but you could see if this is organized, where people just go to one local business and everybody has to spend at least 20 bucks there. Oh. 
And so that's then it, neat. So yeah. So then it's so then everybody goes in there and it infuses that business yeah. with a bunch of business for that time, and it just shows people, hey, you can support. And so the thing is, though, it's an undisclosed store. So you sign up for it, and then it's like, oh well, you might have to go spend twenty bucks at the florist. But it's not about the fact that you're buying flowers or that you need flowers or that right. you have any of that stuff. It's um, about supporting the community and yeah. getting to know it and, and putting being, money in there and a living, yeah. breathing part of it. So she says, oh, cool, I'm going to sign up for this. So she goes. That's cool. And then they're like, okay, we're going to this skateboard store. And she's like, oh, Lord. Like, I don't yeah, And go. all go the old get people. Some helmets. Go and get some knee pads. Everybody's grumbling. Safe. Yeah, they're like, I don't, I don't want anything yeah. from here. You know? But then the... the Oh, the the uh, organizer. we're going to the air filter store, everyone. Get your twenties. <laughs> so the organizer is like, no, no, no. They have like sunglasses and hats and that kind of thing. And so she, re- she, everybody buys their thing, and she's the last person to find something because she's like, I don't want any of this stuff. Um, so she finds a Virginia Tech shirt mm, that's mm-hmm. there. That it's like a little bit under twenty dollars, but she's like, I can't, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, the letter of the law of these experiments, and not the actual whole thing. But the the big takeaway for her was when she got the shirt and then this guy's like, hey, I'm Daniel and thanks her so much for buying it. And she's like, oh, I recognize that like, this is Daniel. This is his store. This is his paycheck. Is this $20 for this shirt? It's yeah. not about the skateboard store. Like now I know Daniel and now I know right. that he runs the skateboard shop. Yeah. And I hope that he does well. Even and though I never change your interaction there henceforth anytime you see him yeah and it's not necessarily even at that point about the economics of the whole thing exactly it's and tangible maybe can make you feel more home <laughs> yeah hey this is daniel and i'm yeah. and i'm happy to like help him out then for for her whole thing she realized well i want to do that so she she made it a thing where she's spending a total of 50 bucks a month at a local business and she chose the toy store because that's a novelty place and you, she can get fun gifts for people or she can find a way to do that and she knows the people there and they're really toy stores are in danger too toy and bookstores are Mm -hmm. are, you know left and right fallen fallen out of uh public view yeah so some of the some of the actionable items on the checklist that you could do find one item that you can buy and stick with that so like if you always buy whatever pick a pick a local place that you can always get something from that you get on repeat and always just buy it there and stick with that Realize that it's not necessarily about the price. It's about friendliness and giving back and building on those tenants because it is going to be a sacrifice to spend an extra $4. Yeah. But think of the outcome beyond, oh, well, I saved four bucks. Yeah. They have so many old businesses over here, like uh, like Old Magnolia is mom and pop shops yeah. all up and down so i could imagine maybe that there's some sort of program like that because yeah. there's some stores i'm like how like i love it but like how do you stay open <laughs> yeah how, how are you still here you're you are a uh, you're an automotive uh bookstore yeah who goes in there yeah you know? <laughs> well they go in there and get to know them i, guess. I know no, no i've got to go and yeah. buy a book on how to fix an accurate <laughs> and i'm gonna meet i'm gonna meet you know dave <laughs> right. who runs the auto bookstore which is <laughs> We're moving right on to number three, say hi to your neighbors. It's tough to make friends, especially if you're 35, 36 and moving to Blacksburg. Yeah. Um, In the 1950s, 44% of neighbors socialized at least once a week. By 1970, that went down to 24%. Oh my gosh. There's a book, which I have not read, which she references called The Vanishing Neighbor. Which if you're into that concept is a very interesting thing. Now that immediately, because... uh, 
nostalgia is such a big thing, harkening back to, you know, um, classic Americana, all of those types of things. But that is like an aspect that nobody seems to be talking about that's missing from all of this mm-hmm. is the actual neighborly door-to-door community going over to the, you know, to the neighbor's house down the street with all yeah. the kids. Like, it's not, like, that seems heavily missing. And because of the 11 moves in your lifetime, right. you're renting, you're transient. Absolutely. She was saying it's tough in Blacksburg because Blacksburg is a college town. It's a lot of, a lot of people leave for the summer or it's, you know, young people who yeah. are there to, to go to school and then move. Yeah. And... So that is a whole thing. So you kind of also now, like you said, it's not being talked about. You almost have to, it, it, it's weirder now yeah. to bring a casserole to your neighbor. Right. And, 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 and I'm like, I'm, why? You know, because like, <laughs> that aspect is something that just feels so central and missing from, mm-hmm. from the things that we are doing now. Yeah. I don't know. It's so very she, interesting. Yeah. Our good friend Jimmy Carter, the president of the United States, came oh, up Jimmy. with Good Neighbor Day. Mm-hmm. which is September 28th. So she had lived there for a year, and then she's deciding to do this experiment. She's like, well, this is a good excuse for people to accept me as a, as a good neighbor because you can do something and say, <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. it's good neighbor day, you know, an arbitrary thing to do. So she decides, I'm going to make some banana bread, and I'm going to give it out to my neighbors and the people around, and she's gonna, her kids are going to tag along and see it and all, and maybe mm-hmm. it'll be awkward, and maybe people won't like it, or they'll be confused or whatever. And we'll go caroling in September. <laughs> and it's good neighbor day and here's some banana bread but she has a wonderful experience with it she highly recommends Aww. doing this because she said you know we, we got the mail and we chit chatted but there was this guy the dude with the dreadlocks because he said his name you know nine months ago but I never right, and now it's right, awkward right, right. but now here's a reason and suddenly the dude with the dreadlocks becomes Jeff mm. and he's super awesome and he knows about you know real hip to what's going on in the town and, chat, and you form that connection yeah and he loves banana bread. <laughs> and he was so just interested so... in what keeps us from these connections. And mm-hmm. this is getting get far away from the point, but I am always so interested in like, well, isn't it isn't it so nice to reveal who Jeff was, you know? Yeah. And, and and but at the same time, I know I have anxiety over that exact thing that I wouldn't introduce myself to Jeff and I wouldn't go talk to him even though I know that outcome of knowing Jeff and learning about him would be a great thing for me and Jeff great point of resolve exactly it would be a great thing where does it come in my head that oh this is oh I'm scared how does that and how does that happen I don't know I'm very interested in this because I feel like so many people I know are going through that they either want to take the leap or they want somebody else to take the leap but somebody has to take the leap and be like I'm gonna be the awkward one exactly so some of the things that she recommends doing on the neighbor day or just lie and say, you know, you could just say, oh, we're doing good neighbor day for the neighborhood. It doesn't have to actually be September 28th. Um, definitely be the person, cut them off at the pass, welcome anyone you see who moves in that's new. Mm. Be that person immediately. You know, and okay, that's one thing I want to talk about the difference between the two places I've lived now in these in this uh, month and a half span. The clientele uh, of my new place the demographic is totally different. So we were in a we were in a younger area. I, I guess is how I need to say it. I guess I millennials um, in a bar area, and then we moved over to this you know quiet Burbank by a park. Um, and so the the people in our 
complex are more middle-aged. They have children, multiple children even, and I and we even see that families know each other within the complex. Their children are going over and playing with each other. Like, they all go out to the movies or like the these parents and kids are going out to the movies so those the other kids are going to go with them yeah. and then they're going to come back and all the kids are going to fan out to all their all the different places um number it's 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 very very different just meeting people in the hallway it's very different meeting people in, in the elevator um and number one the thing that i have i have noticed is everyone here is a bit more apt to go hello how are you look you in the eyes ask you a question when at the other place, that was not the case at all. Everything was a standoff. Nobody would look at you. Uh, everything was awkward. Everything was just like panic. Uh, and here, there's none of that. And the biggest difference I see are the age demographic. Hmm. So I don't know what that means, but it's something that I've noticed. Um, or maybe it's something that happens to you when you get kids, or maybe it's just something that happens to you as you as you get older. Maybe there is a difference in these generations. I don't know. Or they're hitting the three big... to five year term where you're like, oh, now I feel more place attached, and mm. so I feel the the desire to reach out and yeah. comfort in doing that. That's yeah. interesting. I, 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 that's been a palpable difference right mm -hmm. off the bat. Um, that has got me thinking in this month about you know exactly well why and why do i feel this way and and you know will i be more like this uh as these people are here you yeah. know wh will that happen to me why what are the reasons um that's that's an interesting place my mind has been but this is um really touching on it <laughs> you were talking about people going out to the movies and going with their kids and whatnot the next section is about doing something fun and what your town has to offer. Mm. The thing that she was wondering, also you think about, okay, well, we're going to do something fun. If a friend was coming to visit, what would you want to show them? Mm -hmm. And the irony mm -hmm. of it is she was saying it's inverse to community size, the place attachment in regards to this. Because like when she was in Austin, when her friends would come over, she'd be like, oh, we'll go over here. We'll go do this thing. We'll go do that. And she was <laughs> like, we would never do that. That was just the tourist attraction right. that people. But like when you're in a smaller town, it's like, oh, actually, this is Lefty's Diner that we always go yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, But she was saying, especially if you're moving to a new place, like, in order to feel place attached, you should try and figure out what your community is good at or mm -hmm. what people are excited about. And so for Blacksburg, it's Virginia Tech, it's the football games, mm. the stadium can fit more than the population of the town. It's a whole big thing. Mm -hmm. She doesn't care about football or sports at all. But, but that's what her community is involved in and they're interested in and they support and they rally and they, you know, Enter Sandman is the song that they sing when the when the team runs in and there's the chant, the call and response for the Hokies and all of that stuff. And she, so, she, so her experiment was she was saying she went to the stadium, looked up all the stuff saw, went through the memorials of the different things in the teams, and she tried to figure out why this trophy was important and why that football was important. And then she started wearing the t-shirt that she got from the <laughs> skateboard place. And she was saying when she saw the video of the, you know, the graduates graduating that year, she started crying mm -hmm. at the song and her Sandman when they're throwing up their uh, hats in the air. And she's like, what is hat? Why am I, <laughs> why do I, why is this silly song making me emotional? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's part of it is finding what your town does well and saying, mm -hmm. if I was a Blacksburgian, I would be supporting this team, even if I don't necessarily care about football. This is what this community is about. See, and, uh, I, have, I struggle with that in, in a big city like L.A. because then 
to get the same thing that she's talking about is a little less boots on the ground here because every, you know you can go to Dodgers or USC or UCLA or well that's know, just sports. Well, no, I mean, yeah. but I'm saying things that the whole city, like Burbank, maybe they're all about their their high school football team, but I don't know that yet. But trying to find what what a everybody community. in Burbank is about, I don't know. Yeah, but what it is everybody about in LA County is about. Well, every you know maybe the Dodgers, but that instantly gets a bit more disconnected than like what you're talking about in Bradsburg. Right. Well, that's what she was saying. It's inverse to the community size mm. in things like this. So some of the checklist things that you can do, think about what 10 things you would show off to people, or if you don't have 10 things, find them because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a part of your community and that's what makes you invested in the area. And then the last thing, go to stuff. <laughs> if this is a thing that the people of your town do, go yeah, to it Yeah, yeah. because you're part of that town. Yeah. <laughs> the next thing, which is hard to do, dep- again, kind of depending on the thing, but commune with nature. Um, 85% of the population of the world will be in cities by 2050. Wow. Well, I also read an article yesterday that said that humanity might be over by 2050. (laughs) So we'll have to agree to disagree. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Right now, (laughs) all I know is that means 2049 comes to pass. <laughs> but 2050, it's all also according to 2050. Ready Player One is going to happen. Ah, uh, see, yes, we ha- uh, and that's and so I think we're determining now that humanity doesn't really go past 2051. <laughs> yeah, uh, right now, one out of eight humans lives in a mega city of over 10 million people. So, mm. like Tokyo, Mumbai, you know, giant cities. That's an eighth of the world lives in a giant city, which we do. We do. Um, there's something called biophilia, which is where humans are naturally drawn to nature mm-hmm. and derive something from it. There was a study done in 2001 of 98 apartment buildings in the roughest areas of Chicago, and there was 52% less crime in areas that had more vegetation around it. That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm just going to cover my apartment in trees. <laughs> no violence here. <laughs> no pain. No suffering. No pain. No hurt. She's saying, are, are preferences for landscapes changeable? Because she moved to Blacksburg and she's, she's like, I grew up in California. This forest is kind of claustrophobic. The giant green trees and the kudzu wrapping around and it's so green. <laughs> and I'm not used to mm-hmm. this environment. There was a study that was done in Sweden, and three quarters of the people settled in a similar landscape to their childhood. Mm. And that tends to be a trend. Yeah. Um, So, her challenge, there's a thing called the Scenic 7, where it's these hiking trails and things that you have to go on in central Virginia where she's living. And she said she wanted to do that that summer or that year, complete all seven of them. So, she didn't do the biking one. Things just got bogged down, but she did them and it made her more familiar with the area. She saw a photo of her hometown in like a Pinterest board of nature photos. And it was, this was the revelatory moment. She was like, oh, I like that. There's pictures of the mountains and pictures of the beaches and pictures like that look beautiful. And then she looked at the caption and it said Blacksburg, Virginia. It's like, oh, I, I am now more appreciative of this area because i took the time but she had to do it again through an arbitrary means of like this is a challenge complete all seven and then you get a t-shirt you know so some of the things that you can do about communing with nature even if you live in even if you're one-eighth of the population in the world and live in a giant city Mm -hmm. learn the names of the flora and fauna in your area i don't know what random brown bird that is 
you know, but if I knew more about yeah what was going on, I think I would care about the plants and the animals. Right. If I if I took the time to learn about them. Yeah. Yeah. What is that stupid brown bird? <laughs> <laughs> so many brown birds here. Create a happy place anchor. Like you said, associating right. these hikes with her kids and they got lost in one and accidentally went through a cow pasture and then it started raining. Now that is a happy memory of that place. The next thing she has, number six, volunteer. Mm. So her friend did a birthday project where she, instead of getting presents, gave presents. And Melody's birthday is the 17th of July. So for her, she wanted to do 17 random acts of kindness. Okay. Some of them were anonymous. Some they, you know, they ding-dong ditched, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then so you don't know. She did this with her kids because she knows that Vol... Run, it's is- going to be so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is kind of a non-starter. People know that volunteering is a good way to be attached to your community. So she left a cooler of water bottles on a trail, and she realized that it helps create a sense of we. It's like Saturday chores. Like when you do Saturday chores in your house, Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, well, this is for a reason. It's like doing that, but in the community. And if you think of it like that, if it's hard for you to wrap your head around. Because only a quarter of the U.S. volunteers ever Three quarters of the U.S. has not volunteered at all. Oh, really? It's so low. Wow. That's crazy. That is. That's shockingly low. She didn't necessarily want to start big on, I'm going to go to the homeless shelter Mm -hmm. every single night. So a question for some people is like, hey, I don't have time. You know, the classic excuses, whatever. Writing a check for a local business or for something that is a part of your community is for some people, depending on what you're doing in, in your financial situation, might be just as important as volunteering yeah. because you're investing, you care about this thing's future success. So there was the a local theater called The Lyric that's a nonprofit, like artsy theater or whatnot, shows rare movies and that kind of thing. And she liked it and she liked going there, even though she didn't really know anybody and she felt awkward because everybody else that's in the lobby is talking and they're old friends. Yeah, she's like, yeah, when yeah, yeah. will I be like this? <laughs> So she donated money to it. They were having a campaign because they needed to update their projectors or whatever. And she said that made her feel like she was a part of the thing. And she tried to do a volunteer thing. This is, again, why I like this book. Mm. Because she was a part of the parent-teacher organization, but that was too insular. It's like, well, you have that's like already something that you're involved in. Right. So get outside of that. There was right. a thing where like they pack lunches for the kids on the weekend that don't have enough money. They have mm. free lunches for school. Mm-hmm. And she was like, there was way too many volunteers. I dropped granola bars in the bags, but I didn't feel like I was doing anything. And I felt like right. a, I was like contributing less because there was so many people here like they don't need me right to be involved in this so what she found was and she was like you you might judge me for this because it's not helping homeless people or giving kids food but the lyric hat like they run on volunteers it's a non-profit thing so she volunteered to scoop popcorn and yeah. take tickets and be okay. involved in that and she met this lady named betty that became her friend and then the lyric was a part of the town parade Oh. Um, so they had their own float and she that. joined on that yeah. and, uh, they were doing it as a promo for their thing where there was doing a, a series of videos of like cats and cat memes and stuff. So they all dressed up in cat costumes and she was like, <laughs> I, even though that wasn't a thing that I was comfortable with, I was like, what would a Blacksburgian do? Like, well, dress I'm volu- like a cat. Yeah. Dress like a cat and join the parade. Yep. Um, <laughs> dress like a cat and join the parade. <laughs> now that's all that we really have to say about it all. <laughs> That's what it really boils down to. Mm-hmm. So the checklist for, for volunteering is either A, see what breaks your heart in the community and try and find a way to contribute to fixing yeah. it. Or like what she did, B, see what gives you joy and find a way to enhance it. Mm. 
The other thing you can do is the random acts of kindness. And then the last thing was donate. Like she said, just maybe just if you can't or don't want to do any of that, giving money to a local thing will yeah. help you invest mentally in the place. Number seven, eat local food. Mm-hmm. Just as a stat for no reason whatsoever. Portland, Maine has the most restaurants per capita. Oh, really? More than San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're huge into food. And this they is a big part of community is what you're eating in a lot mm-hmm. of places. You're like, oh, Louisiana? I know. Gumbo, po'boys. Exactly. You know, That's Maryland, crab travel. cakes. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a part of it. And so she's like, what is Virginian? Could food make me feel mm-hmm. like a Virginian? Yeah, what's the Blackburg, uh, yeah. what's the Blackburgian uh, so, diet <laughs> consist of? What's the quintessential? <laughs> what are people into? So the low barrier to entry for most people for this is the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And another reason mm-hmm. it's big, which I didn't really think about until she brought it up, at the grocery store, you get all your food and then you put it in and then you go in the checkout line and you leave. Yeah. In a farmer's market, every single thing you buy has its own checkout line. So when yep. you buy strawberries from this guy, you have to have the social interaction with the farmer that made it and chat with him and buy it. Yep. And then if you want to get avocados, you have to go to the other totally guy. Totally different transaction. And so you're having 15 different social interactions mm-hmm. with the people that made the food. Their idea, which was her experiment, she was like, I want, and this is funny because I've thought of this all the time, is like, I want to become a regular at a restaurant. Oh, yeah. Like, that seems yeah, very, yeah, yeah. she's Emily, like, how can we fabricate this? That too, yeah. Because oh, I want to yeah. be a regular at yeah, yeah, a restaurant yeah. in Blacksburg. <laughs> and her husband's like, cool, let's do it. So the thing is, that, like, he's at a teacher's salary. She's a freelance writer. She's like, well, we can't, well, the ideal is to come in here every night. Right. But we have to do it once a week because we can't afford. Right. <laughs> being you have to restaurant. decide the the night or i suppose the, you know well, yeah and it's going to be friday nights mm-hmm. you know so they go to left yeah did that my dad did that for a long time they would i guess yeah that's probably one of the better the better neighborly things that i had uh growing up is my dad for quite a long time um friday nights would go to dinner with his neighbors mm-hmm. uh, our neighbors at the time and that we kept that up for like the better part of a decade i think it was pretty cool and so I would always be, my parents were divorced, so I would always be picked up on Friday nights. And so that, if I knew I was going to my dad's, I knew there was at least we're going out to eat with the neighbors. You know, yeah. I get to you know, talk to them or talk to their daughter or whatever's going on. That that was, I think, a pretty, uh, that was a pretty big thing to look forward to as a kid, just being able to go out, meet the neighbors the on a weekly basis. That, yeah, knowing yeah. that it's coming. So she goes to lefties and they try to make it a, you know, weekly thing. She realizes, though, Blacksburg is such a college town. There's such a transient employment and staff. It's like you can't have Deborah, the usual waitress, give you the usual thing because it's all college students. Yeah. And because they're going yeah. once a week, yeah, it's yeah. a different kid. And, so, and they don't even – she's like, I'm trying to order the same thing five weeks in a row and I'm sick of it, but nobody's remembering that I order the thing. Right. And in this restaurant that they picked – it's sort of arbitrary because it's usually like you go to a place and then you like it and then you continue to order. They kind of did it backwards and like picked a place and they're like, we're going to have to like this because we picked this place. And, and keep ordering to... the same thing <laughs> yeah, all the time. She tried. be known. <laughs> yeah. She tried. Like they, a suggestion from her friend was like, well, if you leave a big tip, then they'll remember you. They didn't remember them. Uh, the place is like, <laughs> We oh. left a thousand dollars. They didn't even look at us. Yeah. <laughs> If you, like, always want to sit in the same place, it's like, oh, yeah, that's your spot. But this restaurant, you have to seat yourself so, like, nobody remembers that they always sit there. Right. Because it's not novel. Uh, They try sitting at the bar. Like, that's what a regular would do. That doesn't work. Uh, So it was a – she thought the experiment was a failure. And she realized over time as they were doing this, the the thing about what they call a third place, which is not home and which is not work, Mm -hmm. is not so much about being recognized as – 
the recognizing of the place. It's like, oh, I know lefties. I know the menu. I know the thing. I know the people. Oh, yeah. It's more in yourself. Mm -hmm. So they were doing it the wrong way. And that was a revelation to me of like, if you do want to have a thing, it's not so much about being the person that's recognized. It's an order of operations and it certainly has a palpable difference. Yeah. So some checklist things for eating local food Mm. is have a dinner front lawn block party where... yeah. If you have a lawn or that she lives in a suburban area, but just whatever anybody's going to eat for dinner anyways, make it a Friday night thing. Like you said with your dad having the the Friday stuff, make it a Friday night thing or whatever night thing. Like everybody, like our front lawn is open. We've got three picnic tables and whatever. Just bring your own thing and we'll sit out here and eat. And whoever can make it can make it. seven to ten, we are on the lawn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Look up hidden gems on Google for your town. Yeah. (laughs) I think about, because we we talked off mic about the kind of fake it till you make it, but it's definitely what she's utilizing to beat the system and heighten the experiences mm-hmm. and saying like, oh, if I was a community member of Burbank, I would go to this thing and talk to the, talk to my friends who are a part of this community. But it kind of it goes back to another thing we were talking about off mic is just kind of the, your passion and drive to do whatever that is. And you can find, you can derive meaning in, and and comfort and and a place a place of uh, you you can derive your home from mm-hmm. those things uh, yeah if you choose to to figure out where you're putting value yeah. we put value in tons of things without even realizing them uh, it comes down to are you able to reallocate your value system be yeah. like no I I do care about this yeah something else that a lot of people care about number eight get more political mm. she joined. And I'm going to have to look this up because this is very interesting. What she calls the Citizens Institute, which maybe it's named different things in other towns. But it was a nine-week thing on Mondays where you learned about the different government organizations of your town. Hmm. And so, like, she said it was great because uh, she got to ride in a fire truck on a fire truck day. And she got to speak to the people that were in City Hall. And she got to speak to the people that were doing the nonprofit stuff. And all the different parts of how the government works. You get to meet the mayor. You get to do all these things. She said it was probably the best part of the all the experiments that she did because it really made her like the people of her town the most. This That's was cool. the most involved that she felt in getting to do something there because you got to see how the medicine's made, how it all works. Oh, this is this is actually a person and this is their job and they want you to email them when right. something is wrong yeah, or yeah. when something is right. So, going into voting, between 2008 and 2012, the highest turnout for any mayoral, meaning the mayor, mm-hmm. election was 45% of the population. Really? Yeah. Which is madness. Yeah. She had done, they asked her to do a survey about the city's website at the end of the class. She was like, I would never have done this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't care at all about it. But she was saying because she took this class and because she got to know people and saw how it all works, it was like, oh, no, I'm doing this for the guy who's the IT guy for the town hall. And that's why this is important, because they care. And she she got a better sense of how you could interact with your local government. So some of the stuff for the checklist in being involved more politically, how do you just do the smallest things to get started feeling more place yeah. attached to your thing? So what she's saying is follow the mayor on social media. See follow what the mayor about. around town. <laughs> Step two. <laughs> Assume the mayor's identity. <laughs> uh, now, join one of these Citizens Academy things. Oh, okay. Look yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, follow the local news. 
I chat with do. them. Yeah, I'd they're like, always like tweet us at whatever about how you think about. This. <laughs> please watch us. Please God, watch us. <laughs> do it, and then that's the big thing. If there's something you hate or you love, let them know. Yeah, be involved. That's that's why it's there. They want to know. And then speaking of doing things, so number nine, a big part of being place attached, creating something. Someone said somewhere in your town, I'll do it. Like the parade where she's part of the cat thing. Someone mm-hmm. came up with the town parade. Dressed like a cat and joined the parade. Yeah. But there was a person 17 years before. I want before, to have cats in the parade. Who said, I want the parade <laughs> yeah. at all. Somebody. I want the parade. Yeah. In the big town sense of things. Mm-hmm. So everybody had a time where they had to say, oh, nobody's doing this. I want to do it. Mm-hmm. So... Going off of that, her her daughter was sitting on the floor one day. She was typing on the computer, and her daughter's like, remember when we did that chalk thing when they were in Austin? It was like a big chalk art extravaganza on the sidewalk. And she was like, we should do something like that here. Hmm. And so she's like, oh, I'm doing these experiments. I, yeah, uh, we should. <laughs> well, well, she's like, normally every whim of your child that says like, oh, we should do this, you're just like, yeah, 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 you know. But she's like, well, now that I'm in this zone, I'm going to humor it and say, let's do it. So yeah. they're like, they're going to do the first annual Blacksburg Chalk Walk. Hey. <laughs> Here we go. Look um, at that. So she says, let's do it. And it's a way to show her her child. It has a nice ring to it even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show my child that I want, that I, you know, I'm practicing what I'm preaching. And, and she can. possible. You can do and you mm-hmm. can get what you want. Oh, you had this whim? You want to do a chalk walk? Let's, let's figure out how to You something? You like that? You can do it. You can make it happen. It yeah. can be yours. You know? Yeah. And because of the parade and her volunteering at the Lyric, she was able to speak with people. And there's something called Art in the Market that happens during the summer. And so she's like, well, we, we're going to start small. We're not going to have our own big thing, but we can piggyback off of them. Mm-hmm. They're doing this big arts thing. Maybe we just have a separate booth and we have artists that are there. And it, she was, it's interesting because it was immediately, they ramped it up to a thousand. And they're like, <laughs> no, we'll have local artists who are doing things and we'll have a competition and there'll be yes. prizes and we can get these people and we can borrow the tables for this yes. and we can borrow the booth. For this. And so <laughs> it was funny because... She's in charge of this, but they came up with all of these other additional things. So as the date approaches in the next meeting, she got scared and she she scaled it back because she was like, this is like too much. No. (laughs) So she's like, well, why don't if we just have a booth and we just have like some buckets and chalk and in the art in the art in the market, kids can come up and they can just draw chalk. And we have this area of the festival and whatnot and they can draw and and nobody was opposed. They're like, no, that sounds fine, too. Kind of sad, but she recognized that she was like, this is too much for me. I'm too scared. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's like, we're just drawing chalk. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then the art in the market happens. Pouring rain that day. Uh, Nobody's walking around. Uh, her and her daughter, Ella, are sitting there. They're trying to get little three-year-olds like, you want to draw? The rain subsides a little bit at the end of the thing. The kids start picking up the chalk and they're drawing it around. And so it's a definitely a toned down version of her experiment of what she thought was possible. But at the same time, she saw her daughter there. They were they were doing they're stuff doing together. It. They're, they're out in the community. They got I'm a just booth. happy it got done at all. So I was worried it was just totally rained out. Yeah. And it's like, well, next year. <laughs> so some checklists for creating things. Show up to art activities in your community. If you're not into art, she says, write a love letter to your town. Like, think about the things that you like and place it somewhere for somebody to find, kind of in, like, an anonymous thing. Because maybe somebody else, like, she didn't realize all this stuff was going on until until she did it. And so maybe you can do that for somebody if that's your thing, if you want to mm-hmm. be niche in that way. Write the things you like about write your town. Write a love letter to your favorite ramen restaurant yeah. and just leave it on their front doorstep yeah. and tell them how much it meant 
to have a place you felt like you could go and, and be home yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And that's your artistic, that's yeah. your creation yeah. to the town, to somebody in the town yeah. Yeah. that it matters to. Tour public art, there's murals, there's, you know, there's all t- kinds of stuff that somebody that has said, I want to make that happen mm-hmm. and put it mm-hmm. somewhere out in the world. We just found a library up the street. We're, we need to go over there and look at that. Yeah. And get books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing, number 10, stay loyal through the hard times. So I read this book more recently, and it came out in 2016. But uh, she was saying, so in 2007, uh, on April 16th, that's when the Virginia Tech shooting happened. Mm-hmm. And she moved to Virginia or to Blacksburg after that. As of when that happened, that was the deadliest shooting yeah. in, in U.S. history. Yeah. And that was huge. And that devastated that community. I remember that. I remember that specifically because there was Columbine and then there was this. And there, mm-hmm. there's, there's the seven years between that this kind of tragedy was not happening and was not politicized or publicized. Yeah. Um, and is not anything like it is today. Um, and so I, I still have the newspapers for this of saying that exact headline deadliest uh, yeah. shooting in American history. And so you look at it and like bringing all the way back to Gertie in, in West Virginia with the flood and there's a sense of community around that thing and she's just moving into this and, you know, she'd be at something and they'd be talking about, oh yeah, the, the security from April 16th and she'd like, she's like, what? And then she remembers, she's like, oh yeah, that like, it's not a part of her identity in the community, but it's so much a part of of it other is, people's scar of, of that things. Community. Yeah, I just actually just watched. Um, going off of this, we are Columbine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a brand new documentary made by survivors of the of the shooting, um, and it's very much about the community and what it was like to live there before and after the the shooting. They don't they don't really talk about the shooting itself, and they don't they never even mention uh, yeah. the gunman. This is all about it. It, it, it is the title. We are Columbine. It is all about the community mm-hmm. and what it was like to be a part of it before and after. Yeah. Uh, and so they follow four students, uh, and this is 20 years after, four students and, and, and a teacher very closely and, mm-hmm. and go through it with them. It was really fascinating to see how much we all rely on each other without even realizing yeah. it. Um, the community is so important in disaster stuff especially. She did a she, – she talked about a survey or a, a study, the tsunami that happened in Japan in the 2000s. In a study that was done, the variation in these towns along the coast of amount of population that died ranged from zero to 10% of the population of each of these Mm. towns. And they wondered how that happened. So there was the mention of the earthquake, and then there was 40 minutes before the wave hit. And that was true across the coast. And so they looked at a bunch of different things, physical elements, environmental factors, whether the town is higher or lower all different sorts of stuff, accessibility of roads. Yeah. The biggest contributor to that zero to 10% was yeah. social connection. Because if oh, you man, knew that. Oh. that there was an old person living yeah. by the beach, yeah. you only have 40 minutes, you're going to go for them. Yep. You, you can't take that 40 minutes to become their neighbor. Nope. You already have to have that in place. Same thing happened with the fires here in California. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I imagine you could do the exact same study there because I I read about multiple studies about people trying to go around, trying to save people, trying to get caravans together. Some were successful and some were not. But yes, that exactly. And, and, and those people were talking about all the people they didn't know even. I remember this uh, specific, you know, specifically, they were only helping the people that they could, that they yeah. knew that they, because because they knew them, they went there, like yeah. you said. Yeah. Uh, and if they didn't, they didn't. Yeah. The, the, the thing that they do for a community is they focus your thoughts on what's important. 
And so she was saying she can't have that for this experience, but what she was trying to do was have an empathy for the history at least. So she spoke with her friend who she met at church, whose husband was the guy who called 911 in that building. And she has like a whole binder of all the articles and the pictures and the information and all of that stuff and looked through it. And then the other thing she did to try and feel more a sense of the community in regards to this situation of staying loyal through the hard times was there's a memorial race that they do every year, Mm. like a 3.2 mile thing for the 32 victims. And then they go out to the stadium and see the memorial and all of that stuff. And she was concerned because she's like, at first it was for the people directly affected by it and stuff. And she was like, it doesn't feel like I'm intruding to now be a part of this thing, but to just go, that's what a Blacksburgian who is involved in that would be a part of. She said she did not go. She felt it too far to like go and join everybody that was looking at the memorial stones and whatever, but just being a part of that thing gave her an understanding and an empathy and made her feel like, oh, this now this is my community. Right. I'm, a, I'm, I'm tied to this as well, oh, the good very, and the bad. Very much in, on my mind watching the Columbine documentary. Um, mm-hmm. You would get the sense, because now, and even amazingly, some of the, some of the kids that, uh, that they, they follow a student, you know, that uh, ends up becoming a teacher at, yeah. at Columbine. And, and again, it's all about how it affected the community. And you start to get the sense that, yeah, if I was in this community, it would become a part of me too, whether or not I was there. Yeah. Uh, so she goes into now the, the checklist for things that you could do in your community in regards to staying loyal through the hard times, creating emergency contact with neighbors, under, like n- taking that leap and being like, hey, just in case anything happens, here's my thing. Absolutely. That yeah. has setting that up yes. beforehand, because who knows, you, there might be a time where it on, it's only 40 minutes and you have to... Mm-hmm. And that will it just even that act creates a sense of connection between. You hear something's going down at the school. There, you know that the parents are at work, yeah. but you know that that the school's only too too. You know, like you. Yeah, if you've done the work ahead of time to right. exchange that information and shown an empathy and a caring of like we're a community together. Yeah. The other stuff was but none of that happens without taking those first steps, without being willing to be that kind of, that person mm-hmm. um, being a little strange. But yeah. if we could kind of get that out of our mind, maybe it would just be a lot easier, yeah. you know, if like, that's the thing I'm, I keep going back to him. It just did. And it's just like, why is it so in our mind? Why are we so scared of each other? Mm. I don't get it. Yeah. I am too. Right. Well, I just then that's don't it. Like Everybody it. is. It's the right. 1% extra, like, I'm going to go do this thing. Some other stuff. Read about the town's history. Like it, you'll find a killer entity that's been haunting <laughs> right. the children for decades. <laughs> oh, that ha- the whole town is haunted. Oh, the whole town's haunted by a. A mystical alien clown. How (laughs) odd. Nobody told me about this. The other thing to do is imagine people's hard battles. She said after she learned about all that stuff, it it helped her cultivate an empathy for everybody in the town. Yeah. Because somebody's getting frustrated at the grocery store and it's like, well, I also didn't deal with what they dealt with six years ago when the whole town was in shambles because of this thing happening. And I understand now the the grander sense of people in this area. It's, it puts it very much in the forefront of, of your mind. You don't know where they have been. Yeah. Just because you know something has happened in this town, it's very likely they have a very personal connection to it. So you don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's way more. I mean, that that's the case with everybody. We don't know where anybody's been. But we can't. We don't say that literally every time we interact with a human being. But if you're in this in this situation, it would absolutely be on 
way towards the forefront of your mind being yeah. like, um, maybe not. Maybe I'll be a little careful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So now we get to the last section, settle down. Those are the 10 things. She was saying that the pace for her was pretty glacial when it comes to these, because it was just tiny things over the course. Mm-hmm. And she was still doing this over the three years. Now she's been there for three years and has gotten through all this stuff and her kids are going to school and blah, blah, blah. There was a time where she had left and she felt homesick for it. And she was like, well, that's a pretty good indicator. She left as in... Like on a trip or something. And and as she was doing her research or part of her job, she was like, I can't wait to get back. Like, that's a big... Yeah, that's a huge thing. Yeah. And another big thing that she was saying that happened was she was visiting Lynchburg, which is another town in Virginia, a bit of a ways away, still in the same area, but she was... It was in the summer and they have one of those splash pads where the water shoots up and kids run around and jump in it in the town center area downtown and she was like felt a sense of jealousy maybe or just like oh man if only our town had this like this is so cool and then you get back in the cycle of like oh maybe we should move or like maybe you know the the wishing of a different thing and thinking about also like austin and then so then what she did was she was like oh wait a second she just messaged the parks and recreation that picture you know, and said, hey, Lynchburg yep. has this. And they were like, oh, cool. cool. Let's talk about, like, maybe how we can make this happen. That looks awesome. And, like, that's all. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, that's all it needs. It's not instead of. Because instead you knew of, who to send the picture to. Yeah. Instead of going <laughs> into the cycle of, oh, man, if only. We, it's like, no, you're a part of your town. You can yeah. you can do stuff for it, too. Mm-hmm. And so um, not, well, let's go here because they have. Well, why don't you have something to do with making it happen where you are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not waiting for the mayor. Like, right. make make right. it your own. Don't uh, wait for the mayor. Dress like a cat and join the parade. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. So now one of her friends that she's made in Blacksburg is moving to Austin. Mm. And she's like, oh, we, we lived in Austin. We know all this stuff. And now she's again getting the pangs of like, but I liked all that stuff in Austin too. Mm-hmm. And here comes to the rub of, is it a binary thing? Like she felt at home in Austin when she was there. Mm-hmm. She also f- now feels at home here. But when somebody mentions Austin, she still likes all of that stuff that happened over there. And her and my grand notion of like, oh, once you find the place, you're going to be there for a hundred years and it's where you plant right. your roots and you grow. They're having one of their uh, dinners at Lefty's. Her husband is saying, oh, I don't know, like, this job is necessarily working out. I'm not saying, like, move tomorrow, but if things aren't going the way that I expected them to in the next couple years, like, this might not be the place. And she's like, well, why did I do all of this stuff and really work hard at trying to make this a place for us and our kids and all these things if we're just not going to live in Blacksburg? And she got advice from her friend about it being either or and how that's not necessarily the case. And the quote that I would like to leave you with is... Unpack your life wherever you are. Her friend, even if she got into a hotel, even if she's just traveling, unpack your suitcase. Put it in the drawers. You're living there. You're a part of this. Do all the stuff. What would a Blacksburgian do? Even if you're only there for five years. Unpack your stuff. Yeah. Be there. Do the thing. Because that's what that place has to offer you. And having the, it allows you... To have those moments of awareness of saying, oh, it's beautiful here as you're going down the trail, as you remember the moment you had with your kid, as you're being involved in the civic. It gave her all of these reasons to be involved and to unpack, even if it's not necessarily. And you can still have, oh, I loved Austin. That was my home at that time. Oh, I love Blacksburg. This is my home. But maybe you're there for 20 years. And then when you're 55, you move, you know. Right. You go somewhere else because your kids are grown up and they're living in Portland and you want to be closer to them. Right, right. 
you can still do that. And just being eager to see the good in your town and what it can offer. And that was the book. This is where you belong. Well, that was fascinating. I loved it. There's certainly a lot that's been on my mind. Now I've got some new ideas. What yeah. Do around town. I will put a bunch of things in the show notes, and then I'll put a list of the ten topics that you can think about and how to follow through on them. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. Announcement this week: Tell somebody about us. Recommend your favorite episode. Just uh, get if the you word like what out. We're doing. Try and spread it around. It means the world to us. All right. See you next week. Next week. Later.